Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio today is Kate Snyder, candidate for mayor for the city of Portland. Welcome, Kate Snyder. Thank you for having me. So you're running for mayor to, for the city of Portland, and I guess the first question out of the bat is, why do you think you'd be a better mayor than Ethan Strimling? Over the past four years, I've watched the council kind of gridlock over uh, the management of issues. And one of the things that I think is missing is clear, um, clear prioritization of what the council's shared priorities are. And that's clearly written in the job description in the charter. And it's something that I feel really strongly about, that um, the big issues that we're dealing with here in Portland and that land on the council's agendas um, ought to be shared by the by the council, and so we've seen some things come onto council agendas that may not have been the articulated priorities at that annual priority and goal setting workshop. Is there an example that you can think of? Yeah, so I, I guess I would think of paid sick leave as an example of that. That that work started at the state level, it wasn't getting traction in um, at the state. LePage was in office, and the current mayor brought that onto the municipal stage. Whether or not that was shared by the council as uh, a priority, I think, is is debatable. And so we saw that play out and ultimately not gain passage as a local ordinance. And so I, as a community member, watch and read the paper and think, hmm, are we in fact t tackling the things that are most important both to the council as representative government, but to the folks in the city of Portland? So Would I you think have that supported the, the ordinance for um, paid sick leave? Not at the local level. I think it's totally appropriate at the state level, and I support it there. And I think that whether or not you live in you know Portland or Westbrook or you work in Portland or Westbrook you ought to have access to paid sick time so I'm a big believer in paid sick time I just believe it was handled correctly at the state level and that it wasn't meant to be a local issue now Ethan Strimling would argue that the council is basically been captured by money interests that developers and people with money are setting the agenda and mm -hmm. therefore it's his job as mayor to bring the voices of people with lesser incomes and mm -hmm. with lesser social capital. Um, what do you say in response to that? So I approach that in a different way. And one of the things that um, Ethan knows that I say that differentiates me from him is for me it's, it's style and approach. I don't always disagree with where he is on policy issues, but my style in terms of addressing the issue of are we being controlled by moneyed issues is do we have a vision? So we've got a comprehensive plan for the city of Portland that brings us th through 2030, but it's a, it's a hefty document that not everybody reads. And I think what we're missing is translating what's in the comprehensive plan into a vision. And the vision statement for any given neighborhood or issue is something that people can kind of quickly get their heads around and say, oh, I understand the kind of growth and development we're looking for here. I understand that we're trying to preserve schools in neighborhoods. I understand that we're trying to preserve walkability or enhance walkability. But people don't have that. And so I think that the moneyed interest element that gets talked about is, um, is because we are a reactive city. We're very reactive to developer proposals versus saying, here's how we want the waterfront to develop, or here's how we want development on Munjoy Hill to look. So the you know the recent proposal to create a historic district on Munjoy Hill, I think, is residents' way and the neighborhood Asso association's way of saying, 
we have a vision for how we want growth and development to happen on Montjoy Hill. Whether or not that will prevail uh, is to be determined, but I believe that we need more leadership at City Hall pulling folks together and saying, we need to develop vision statements for our growth and development for the neighborhoods, for the things that we want here in Portland, and that will help drive um, growth and development, and that will help guide us. Right now, we're exceedingly reactive. Well, it seems like um, the city has to be reactive in some sense, just because things are so um, dynamic. For instance, the sudden influx of immigrants at the Expo Center. I mean, yep. that's not something you could have planned for. No, nope. and that's not really, that. so that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about in terms of moneyed interests um, and the way that that perception is is floating through the airwaves in Portland. So I'll use an example. In my neighborhood, which is over by USM, there's a parcel of land that's currently for sale. It was a 7-Eleven for years with ga a gas station, and it's kind of right there in the center of the Oakdale neighborhood. And I would love it if there was a way that, as a neighborhood, we could come together and talk about the vision for that intersection. Uh, but we don't do that. And so instead, we wait to see what developer proposals come forward in response to the for sale sign. So to me, the expo, the, the, uh, um, uh, the influx of asylum seekers in Portland is, is truly something that you, you need to be reactive to. We weren't expecting that to be the case. Um, we, hadn't, we didn't have a plan for it. But I do think that there are opportunities to create plans and to have vision for growth and development in Portland that is separate from things you have to react to. Moneyed interests also brings up the issue of income inequality. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, do you agree generally that the biggest factor driving educational outcomes is family income? Hmm. Well, um, I've, I'm not an educator, but I've worked in the education realm for a while now, and there are direct correlations between socioeconomic factors and student achievement outcomes. So there's no denying the data that tells us that there is a direct linkage between socioeconomic outcomes and student outcomes, or so, so, socioeconomic factors and student outcomes. The data tells us that. And when we look at the breakdown in other towns and cities, it follows those trends just like it follows those trends in Portland. And so if you've got um, students of color, students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, they tend not to do as well by economic indicators, whether they live in Portland or South Portland or New York City. Well, what I'm getting at is what I think is interesting um, about your profile, a lot of things, first of all. But one thing is that you currently are the executive director of an education foundation, which um, is, I, I understand, first let me ask you, does the city of Portland pay your salary? Yep. Okay, so what, I'm, what I'd like to discuss just for a little bit, because I think it's interesting, is that for people who believe that income inequality is the biggest driver of um, poor educational outcomes, that it's just families don't have enough money and therefore education outcomes are very poor. The question becomes is, is using public taxpayer dollars to fund a position that basically solicits tax-deductible contributions from really rich people is one way to go, is to get more funds into the school. But some people would suggest maybe these rich people shouldn't get a tax deduction for and feel good about making a contribution, but instead we should be taxing rich people more and that they should be, we should be putting more money into um, actually raising the incomes of families. So higher minimum wage, um, paid sick leave. So I guess my question is, let's, I want to talk a little bit about your position mm -hmm. as, as the Education Foundation 
director being paid publicly mm-hmm. to raise private funds. What mm-hmm. what do you say, what do you think about that? Yeah, so for me it's not an either or. Um, if you look around at the University of Southern Maine's foundation, if you look at Wayne Fleet's development office, if you look at the advancement office at Thornton Academy, three different types of educational institutions, if you look at Bowdoin, University of Maine, you name it, Colby, um, all of these institutions invest in the generation of philanthropy in support of their education institution. And so the employees of those advancement departments, development departments, and foundations are actually institution employees. So when we were developing a response to a community task force, which was called the Budget and Revenue Advisory Task Force in Portland, that was looking at ways to both diversify and expand revenues in support of pre-K through adult education in the city of Portland, the number one recommendation was the creation of a foundation, much like these private and semi-private educational institutions have the advantage uh, or have an advantage from. So these are folks who generate um, uh, funding from alumni, uh, from people in the community, from current parents, grandparents, but importantly foundations that are set up to give out money, um, corporations, and others in the community who have have a reason to support um, education. And so Portland basically was saying, why don't we do that too? We're missing the boat when it comes to asking WEX for money, for example. And so this past year, we were actually able to secure funding from WEX to pay for middle school math coaching. That was not in the budget, but it's part of the strategic initiative associated with the Portland Promise to um, strengthen achievement for uh, kids at the middle school level in math. Do you think? Um, do you think that that gives Wex, Wex's voice, like more prominence when it comes to development issues, or no? In no, other words, no, no. No, I don't. I mean, it, look at Wex is going to give away money whether it's to Portland Public Schools or it's to Wayne Fleet um, or it's to Bowdoin or to Colby. And so we want to be at the table. Um, I think the Foundation for Portland Public Schools, whose mission it's a nonprofit 501c3 with the mission to generate philanthropy in support of Portland Public Schools. So it's a really, really simple mission statement. I work on a two-year MOU, so unlike those other education institutions that I cited that have development and advancement staff um, just on the books, we always do it in a two-year cycle. So there's no secret about this. The MOU was recently um, updated by the school board at a public meeting at City Hall in June. And so basically the, the test here is, what's the return on investment? Can we generate meaningful philanthropy um, against an investment that we make in staff? Um, and the answer has been yes. Um, so, so we ought to, if the John T. Gorman is giving funding for educational purposes and Portland Public Schools doesn't put in an application, we're at a loss. You know, why, why wouldn't we compete on that playing field? And so I'm really, really proud of the work that we've been able to do rather quickly. Um, and I knew that taking this job was going to be um, a, a, a sprint to success because uh, there wasn't a lot of time. When, you've, when you are willing to work under that sort of two-year two umbrella as the only staff person with a volunteer board of directors, you have to show um, success quickly. And so my, that, that's what I've been doing, is working really, really hard to, to, to show the community and to show the school district that philanthropy can be an asset to public education in Portland. Um, so again, whether it's from foundations, corporations, or individuals, I believe that this will be a long-term sustainable asset to the city of Portland. And we talk all the time about um, 
uh, tight revenues. And so we've got to look at a variety of ways of expanding our revenues in support of public education, in support of parks, and in support of all sorts of things that fit under the municipal umbrella. Now, I think, if I've heard you correctly, is that collaboration is something that sets you apart from Ethan Strimling and perhaps others on you know, in the race. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a good time to segue to gender. And first, let me just ask, what pronouns do you like? Uh, she, her. She, her, and hers? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And do you believe that your gender um, will play any role in your uh, job as mayor should you be elected? I honestly don't really think of it that way. I, I, I think of the person I am as a result of a lifetime of experience, both personal experiences and professional. Um, I'm not really one to say I can attribute this trait to women and this trait to men. Um, I certainly think that gender plays a role in our society. There's no doubt about that. But it's not a prevailing um, sort of thing that I bring into this and say, because I'm a woman, X, Y, or Z. I would say, because I've worked for a variety of boards, because I've been on a variety of boards, because of the education that I have, because of the life experience that I have, you know, as a member of a, a big family growing up and as the parent of a, you know, a family of three kids, like these are the experiences that I bring. And so they have helped shape who I am in terms of um, approach and management and temperament. And have you have you been interviewed by the um, editorial board for the Portland Press Herald? Yeah, I have. And have you learned yet who they are endorsing? I haven't. I think it, I, I think it will come out this week, um, possibly next weekend. I think it in my view, it seems likely that the paper is not going to endorse the re-election of Ethan Strimling. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But if if Ethan Strimling is, is not endorsed by the paper, um, and you are, do you think that that's going to increase your chances of being elected? We, it's an interesting thing. So I've learned recently that 9% of the population reads the Press Herald. Um, so that's a pretty small number. But I do. I read it. We get the paper at our door every morning and leave it on the kitchen table. And so it's hard for me to think that it's not an influential um, endorsement or you know uh, data point for people. And I also think it's what you do with it. If I were lucky enough to be endorsed by the paper, I'd make sure to get the word out. So I think that you can kind of create um, exponential impact as a result of what you do with it. There's been some criticism by um, Stephen Beal and I don't know if Progressive Portland specifically, but his group, that the paper is influenced by an association or relationship with someone on Spencer Thibodeau's campaign. Is that a concern of yours? It's not. And um, how, what has been your strategy for using ranked choice voting in this election? Well, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity that we've got just with the mayor's position on this ballot, and I say use it. Um, we Have don't... you been asking people for their second vote? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If I go to a door and somebody says, hey, I'm already voting for Spencer, I'll say, that's great. I'd love to earn your second place vote. Because I do think that, and this is just conjecture, but I won't be surprised at all if after the first count, we have to go to um, so, some uh, additional um, right ca- round two. Rounds. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we we could knock out you know one candidate and recount their votes. It's possible we go to two. In fact, I think it's likely we go to two. So I think that exercising your option for ranked choice voting is really really important because what I say to people is. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'd hate for your ballot to fall off because you bullet voted. Now, what do you think is the difference between you and Spencer Thibodeau in a nutshell? Experience. 
because of just the age difference and, and your resume and what you've brought yeah, to the table? Um, yeah, I would say that um, having been the chair of the school board for two years and chair of the finance committee on the school board for two years and having been elected at large in the city of Portland for six years just means that I have more experience as an elected official in Portland. Um, I helped to manage really tough budgets through the recession years and post-deficit. So why do you think the majority of council members are backing Spencer Thibodeau? Well, I think that he's a known quantity. He's part of the team. Um, And so we saw the exact same thing happen in 2015. I'm not at all surprised by it. So and um, you nevertheless feel that if you're elected to be Portland's first female mayor, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether gender makes a difference, their endorsement of Thibodeau will not impact your ability to collaborate with them and move the city's vision forward? No, I don't think so. I've had I've had the endorsement of a couple of counselors, uh, Kim Cook and Justin Costa. I have a good relationship with Spencer. I've worked with Nick and Jill when I was on the school board and they were on the council. Um, I, I've worked with Pius. Um, I feel like I have a good relationship with folks on the council. Um, I don't know Belinda well, but I've had the opportunity to talk with her several times, and I have no reason to think that we can't work well together. And so between my relationships with people on the current council and with people on the school board, I'm not at all worried that I would step into this landscape feeling like I couldn't hit the ground running and that I don't have the relationships that could help um, you know, foster a, a an environment of collaboration and working together and and look collaboration doesn't mean you agree with everybody all the time and I want to clarify this because sometimes people will criticize and say well how are you gonna get anything done if you're not willing to ruffle feathers and if you're not willing to sort of throw elbows and I'll say um, collaboration doesn't mean you're not willing to stand up for something that you believe is right and fight for the things that you believe need to happen but collaboration in my view starts with what do we think is most important what are our goals? So if addressing homelessness is important, the goals are these, right? Finding a way to um, relocate from Oxford Street Shelter to take care of our most vulnerable. What's the budget line? How are we working within the region? I mean, there are a lot of goals associated with priorities, and those are the places that we're going to have healthy dialogue and discussion and debate, and we're not always going to be on the same page. But again, I've had enough professional experience, whether it's through being elected in the city of Portland working up in Augusta, or working in the textile industry in New York City, you can disagree with people respectfully and show up for work the next day and be fine, right? Start again. And have it be part of your background so that you understand one another better. To me, it doesn't have to be um, an adversarial relationship that persists. It can be, we don't agree on something, but I'm going to try to understand your side. I'd like for you to understand mine. And I also feel really, really strongly that if you can respect somebody's process, the way they go about their work, um, that can prevail well beyond I disagree with you on any given issue. And I feel really strongly about that. And that's the way that I always approach my work is um, I want to do it in a way that gains people's trust and respect. Um, and we're not always going to agree. And, and all those things can live together. Now, partisan politics is not supposed to be present in a mayoral election for the city of Portland or on the council. But partisan politics is very strong force in our society right now, whether it's on social media or on the airwaves. People are driven by partisan politics. So are you a Democrat? I am. And in the 2016 presidential primary, who did you support? Bernie or Hillary? Oh, (laughs) Hillary. (laughs) 
And will you be participating in, like, for instance, are you going to join, like, the, the Democratic Mayors Association and go to the 2020 um, convention? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that everything is so... Do you um, have a candidate yet that you're supporting on the Democratic side in so the presidential race? I Over the summer, I read Pete Buttigieg's book. Um, I'm a big Pete fan. I think he's a great guy. I don't know that he'll get the top of the ticket. Um I love Elizabeth Warren. I think that she could get the top of the ticket. Um, so those are the two that I'm tracking on most closely. Um, I think Kamala is um, brilliant and also tracking on her very closely. So to me, those are the three most compelling candidates at this point in time. And do you have a, um, a position on the impeachment inquiry? Do you believe it's a good mm-hmm. use, given your mm-hmm. what you've talked about in terms of process and the ability to get along and set a vision and, you know? everything else that you've said. Mm-hmm. Um, have you taken a position with respect to the use of the, the, the public airwaves to um, go forward on an impeachment inquiry of President Trump? I think an inquiry is appropriate. Well, Kate Snyder, is there anything else <laughs> that you would like voters to know heading into the coming election? Just a reminder that Tuesday, November 5th, Uh, Three weeks from tomorrow is the election. Um, Please vote. Please rank your vote. Um, I ask for your number one vote, but please, you know, more than anything, get out there and vote and rank your votes. And um, I'm excited. I I feel like the next four years in Portland are going to be very exciting years where we're going to be making lots of important decisions. And I'm asking folks to think about who's best positioned to help lead that work over the next four years. And, And I hope that you'll take a look at my website and consider my candidacy. Kate Snyder, thank you very much. Thank you.